Hello, and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Kristen. And tonight, we get to talk about fakes and stubs and mocks and junk and stuff and things. That's awesome. So, um, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. Uh, but before we get going, what have you been doing for the next week, for the last week? What have you been doing for the next week? I'm trying to read and exactly. speak at the same time. That doesn't work well. Uh, for client, did a production Rails migration to update, you know, server, Ruby environment, Rails version, things of that nature. Um, address some questions from customers with regards to Postgres issue they were dealing with where they had a failover and we're having some issues with it. Uh, been still working on some space, um, conserving space of a growing Postgres instance, how to uh, get a handle on that. Um, in terms of my own product, doing tons of feature development, different features to add to the form builder that I'm working on. And then um, just checking out, verifying things with regard to Log4j because there's not really anything in like the apps that I generally work with that are using it, but there's a lot of dependencies on third-party providers that have Log4j in many places. Right. So. Yeah, that's that Log4j thing has been a real thorn in our side for the past couple of weeks. Because um, we have a lot of big clients that are, you know have to do all these security things and the SOC 2 and all that whatever that I mean I'm not involved in that stuff specifically but it's it's a bit of a nightmare so although a lot of the tools I've been getting emails from a lot of different third party like vulnerability assessors they're starting to have the ability to check for a specific this specific vulnerability or at least they're announcing it you know with the emails I'm getting so that should make identifying some of this easier i hope so because the problem is there's stuff out in the wild and have you been infected in the time before you patched it is the concern right well we got ahead of some of it but still it's you know the high profile clients are like hey you gotta give us documentation that everything's safe and so we're having to go through there and document a bunch of stuff and and go through things and say well this this service doesn't use it, this service doesn't use it, this service and all its dependencies don't use it, or it does, and here's where it's been corrected, and it's it's just been a whole thing. So, we, we hate you, hacker virus people. Go just die. I don't wish that on many people, but those people, you need to not be here anymore. Um... So anyway, uh, I have been actually not doing as much programming today, I, I, the past week. I've been doing some, but I've been doing a lot of working on our project management processes this week and interviewing <clears throat> people to get the pain points and trying to figure out a better, better process stream for our PM stuff and our internal and external communications paths. Um, so it's, it's been a nice change of pace. 
I mean, I like programming, but it's it's nice to take a week and focus on something else once in a while. So that's been my Hopefully excitement. That makes the programming part more efficient. Yes, because I won't be interrupted as much by rampant communication failures that keep me away from programming and make me have to context switch every 15 minutes. And that gets, I, I mean, all you programmers out there, you know, you know how that feels. It, it just gets annoying. You, you get your brain into something and then somebody's pinging you on Slack or calling you on your phone and you're like, Oh God, I can't get two thoughts together before somebody's calling me. And then I've got a meeting in 15 minutes, and then I've got a meeting 30 minutes after that, and then we got a meeting to find out why nothing's getting done. Anyway, mocks and stubs and stuff and things. Let's talk about that. All right, so um, let's get let's get some definitions out of the way up front. Um, we're going to go with the almost technical definitions. Um, this is this is kind of how I think about them anyway. Um, all of this stuff is what we're talking about is called generically test doubles. They're doubles of objects that you use in your tests so that you can isolate things better. Um, one kind is called a stub. So that's an object that um, provides predefined responses to method calls. So let's say A calls B, and you create a, a stub of B, and A's call into B.apply just returns 1,000, right? So I know in my test, I'm trying to test A. I just want B to accept this method call and give me back the same information every time so that if somebody goes and changes B, it doesn't affect my A tests directly because you can get a whole cascading failure thing in your test suite, and that gets hard to unravel. Um, then there's a mock, which is an object that you make assertions against to make sure that an object is receiving calls, basically. So, like, A... If I do this thing in A, it should call into B to this method. I want to make sure that it's calling this, right? So I've got like an after save callback or something, and I want to make sure in my after save it calls into this. Well, I don't need to actually instantiate a B. I just need to say, hey, there's a B object that can accept this method call. Make sure that it gets called. I don't need it to do anything. Just make sure that the call happens while I'm testing A. So that's what a mock is for. And then the other main type of these things is a fake. And that's something that essentially takes the place of a more complicated object and it's got limited capabilities, something like a fake web service. Um, you don't really hear people saying fake in the wild much. Uh, most people just call that a mock. Uh, in fact, most people don't make these distinctions, why, which is why I was saying almost technical definitions, because there's a lot of arguments about what is actually a stub and a mock and a fake, and there's dummy and spy as well, and there's variations of those things. 
really in the wild, if you're just talking day to day, most people just say mock or stub. And it doesn't really matter which one is which. But, you know, it's if you're at a party and you want to sound really smart, now you know what the difference is. Um, and even then, just Googling this difference between stub and mock, you're going to see a whole bunch of discussions slash arguments as to what is what and yeah right so it's so this is this is kind of how i learned it and how i think about it and how i keep it straight in my head but it's not really important if you do or not more important is how do you use them and when do you use them um so let's talk about when you would use these things obviously these are just for tests Right? This is not production stuff. You don't put mock objects in your production code. What we're trying to do is th the main function of these things is to isolate our testing so that our testing is not dependent on other things outside of this thing we're testing to be correct. We're just going to assume they're correct so that I can focus on testing this thing. Um, so I know I've got a B object out here. I know I've got a C object out here, but I'm testing A objects. So I'm just going to make doubles of these things that I can fake interact with so that I can test the, the functionality of A without getting sidetracked with what B and C are actually doing. Now, that's not always what you want to do like integration tests you don't really want to use those very much sometimes you will use them if you're if you're calling to like an external web service or something because you don't want your test to be brittle if that web service happens to be down when you run your test your tests fail you don't want that um, so i will almost never do um, actual external web service contacts in my tests it's always some kind of test double that accepts those calls. Um, then if you're hitting any outside APIs outside of this particular app, so that doesn't necessarily mean outside of your, your suite of stuff. Like we do this a lot of times because we have a multi-service architecture. So, um, if I'm testing this service and it calls these other services that we have, I don't call them actually. I mock those um, or stub them, depending on what I'm trying to do. But we'll just say mock. But that's I, I try to keep everything contained into that service. I want these tests to test just this service. I don't want to really depend on... You know, if somebody changes this service and all my tests are broken, well, that's that's not really what we want. Um, I need to be notified that, hey, service B has changed. I need to go change my tests, but I don't want my tests to just fail because some other service changed. Um, you can also have issues with not only brittleness of the tests with external APIs, but it could be slow. Like, for instance, the internet gets, just gets rammed with something, some DOS attack, and all your, you know, internet's just running slow across the board, 
and this particular service you're calling is really, really slow. They're getting hammered for some reason. So now your test that used to take, you know, one second takes a minute and a half. That's no good. And I don't really need that for my tests. So why, why let them be slow when I can just mock this stuff? Um, now, when would you want to test an external service? Because imagine they make a change and you don't know they make a change. And then you run your code, all your tests pass. Hey, everything's hunky-dory. You deploy. And well, I mean, you didn't break anything, but the fact that they have changed something, your app no longer works. Or is it, so what's your opinion on that? Or is it the fact that it's not your tests that need to notify you that the fact that that service has changed, but something else needs to notify you? Typically in that situation, what I'll do, if I have an external API that I have to depend on and, and they're not very careful about changing their APIs, uh, first thing I do is I evaluate whether that's a good external API to be using, because that's just uncool um, to be, to you know, just change your APIs and then whoopsie, you know, they, they should version their APIs if they're going to make changes so that if I'm on their V1 API, it always works this way. But I will also sometimes, um, if I'm in a situation where I think that could happen, is I will write tests that are just for the connections to make sure that they're... Um, hitting the, the API contracts as I expect them to go. So I'll just make sure, you know, make calls into those things with this contract and say, is this working right? And those are in a separate area so that I can run them separately in the specs. So if I get on a CICD, I can just run those as a different package and not corrupt the rest of my test suite. So if that's a thing I'm testing, then I separate that into a test of just that thing. Um, because like I said, if I have, you know, maybe this is a, maybe this, uh, web thing is just fine. This service is just fine. It's not changing its APIs. It's doing good. It, it doesn't change, but all of a sudden it gets slow. I don't want that peppered throughout my tests. So I, I try to isolate that stuff. Um, So another time you'd really want to do this um, is is when you're you're trying to do a test of a class and you want to get this focused and your class is making calls into other classes. I don't really want to I don't really want to have the other class's operation impacting how my tests run for this class. That other class should have its own set of tests. Um, but I should be able to say, okay, this test should receive and this message. This is, and this does not consider integration tests. Right. right. Integration tests are a little bit different. This, this is, you would want to, I don't use a lot of mocks or, or test doubles in integration tests, except for external API calls. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Because the whole point of an integration test is soup to nuts. I want to test the whole stack and make sure everything's interop inter inter interoperable. There you go. <laughs> I think. Man. Um, so 
Man, me and English have not been getting along well this year. Um, so, yeah, just keep in mind that all the things I'm saying here are mostly not applicable to integration tests in a lot of cases, except for external. Yeah, except for the external APIs right. or external services even. Right, yeah. If it's outside of the code base, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so if I have, if I'm trying to test um, class A, I don't want class B's um, operation to really impact what I'm testing for class A. Now, there are, of course, ex exceptions to this sometimes, but um, it, it, it's, if I'm testing a class, I want to focus on just what it does. So if it's calling out to other objects or using other objects, those, those classes should have their own set of tests. So I shouldn't have to worry about, you know, how they operate. I just want to know how my class A operates. So I'm going to mock and stub those things out so that I can make sure that it's that A is making the proper calls to class B. And that if class B returns this specific thing, A handles it properly. But I don't want to take a chance that I change something in class B class B no longer returns this thing in this case, and now my class A test is broken. So that's, you use these stubs and, and fakes and mocks to kind of isolate your testing and make sure that it's not being influenced by outside things. Um, Do you ever find that the presence of Mogging, mogging, mocking <laughs> or stubbing in this case makes your stuff too brittle or like reduces the velocity at which you can go because now you have to build up and maintain these things if you're making changes in something. Well, it, if you have to do a lot of mocking and stubbing, like if I'm in class A and I'm mocking and stubbing 15 other classes, I've probably got a refactoring project on my hand because I've got one class knowing about way too many things. That's probably not a good situation. So you shouldn't have tons of mocks when you're mocking a poro or just a class. Um, they should be very selective. And, and I'm not saying you don't necessarily always want to do that. There may be cases like, it, especially if I've got inherited objects or inherited classes that I may want to test down through the stack. I don't need to mock the children or the parents or anything like that. That's usually not necessary. Um, but if I have horizontal classes that I want to kind of isolate and just make sure that I'm sending and receiving the same thing every time, um, that's important because... If my input and outputs change, if I can't control those, then I can't, that's what makes my tests more brittle. So by isolating them, I can actually make my tests, the tests themselves, less brittle. Now, I need to pay attention to my workflow and how I'm changing the APIs between classes. I don't want to just rip and shred things. but by the same token, 
if I'm going to change the API on class B, then I should have tests that tell me, hey, you need to do something here with some other classes. Now, again, this is it. I'm not saying you always want to mock and stub. It, you don't. You don't always want to. Um, you may want to, depending on how critical it is, you may want to have some tests on this on class A that actually test into class B and say, if I send class B this thing, am I getting the correct response? So, I mean, there is some times when you want to do that. But generally, I try to keep tests very focused. I want to test this one thing with this one class, and I want to know what the environment around this class is when I test it because I'm trying to test a very specific situation. Um, the other thing that I that I still suffer from, when you get big test suites, um, I was actually dealing with one of these today. There was an old test somewhere, and I had changed something in something that was completely in a different place in the code. And this test started failing on me. Actually, it was a couple of tests. It took me forever to figure out how in the world that test got down into what I had changed. But it was because there weren't, it would have been much easier had I had mocks in there because I could have isolated that change from this set of tests and uncovered it in the tests for the class I was working on. Um, so when you get things going down too far, it gets really hard to kind of troubleshoot tests that are failing too, because you're like, why is this coming back like this all of a sudden? I've, I've done nothing anywhere close to this area of code, but you've got some callback somewhere that's changing this class that calls into this class that then calls into your class. And now it's sending you a different thing in this test example. So that gets really squirrely. Um, you know, and, and so then the other thing is that, you know, I kind of mentioned this before, when you want to test that a method is called, another class's method is called, but in, in your test scenario, you don't care what that method does. You just want to make sure you're calling it. Um, that's a real good place for these kind of things for a, a um, stub. I'm sorry, that's a mock. This, that's why we just call them all mocks, because it really doesn't matter. Um, so those are really the areas that you want to use these things. Um, what I've noticed in the wild, and I was guilty of this for a long time, is that people don't use them nearly enough, if at all. And I've I've tried to understand why developers are so reluctant to use these things. Um, and I've come up with some theories, but I don't have any hard answers. I can tell you why I was reluctant to use them at first. Um, it was because they were a little hard to understand, so they were a bit intimidating. Um, there was some confusion over how they were used. So for me, it was... 
I would rather just, you know, say, here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm doing, and follow the code and not worry about mocks and stubs and dummies and spies and all that stuff. It's another DSL to learn that I got to put in my brain and I just can't. Um, so it, it really was kind of an intimidation thing or a, maybe a bit of laziness too. I don't want to have to learn a new thing. Um, and then some of the other reasons that I've kind of seen and heard from people is that they don't think that they're needed. That's just unnecessary. I don't need that. Or they just don't know really what they are or what they're, what they're for. They just don't, don't know that you're supposed to do that or that you should do that. Um, so for me, getting past that was really just digging in a little bit more and, and looking to understand why these things are important. You don't really understand that until you suffer some of the consequences of not having them, like trying to troubleshoot a really nasty test failure that goes through eight different layers of of objects to figure it out. That's that's a pointer to holy crap, if I'd have had a mock, this wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I think some of this is called a marketing problem because like just looking at stubs, mocks, fakes, dummies, spy, I mean, what the heck? Why do we, is it an academic pursuit to classify these and say specifically what each thing is? I mean, at the end of the day, <clears throat> what like my concern is, hey, I'm calling out to an external service. I'll, I'll use that example because that's where I've used them. As opposed to calling the actual service, I want to call something that will return what I expect if I were to indeed call that service. Mm -hmm. That's it, done. Now, but then they have all these definitions. So I think people start, start to look it up and see all these arguments. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't have time to deal with that. I got to right. code something. So, I mean, what I've done is probably to these definitions that have been defined as the stubbings. That's the only thing I've ever done. It's just basically, I'm calling to external service and I have, and you kind of have to do this if you have a rate limiting API. Like mm -hmm. if you have to pay money, you're not going to want to send a bunch of tests to an API exactly. and pay money every time, or you have, or you're on a, one example is there's an email service I use. They have a free plan which is perfect for doing development work, but I can't necessarily send all my email tests because I'll go over the, their rate limits for the month. Mm -hmm. So it's, okay, now I can't run any more tests against your service. You know, I can't do that. So that's where I do the stubbing to at least say, hey, when I call this, this replica of it, call it a stub of it, it returns me what I need so I can continue testing without actually calling it. Right. And I think you bring up a good point. It, I, I think a lot of it is a marketing issue where the the technicalities that get argued about this stuff really yeah. make it difficult to be accessible to people who are trying to learn it. And so they just say, screw it. I, it's, it's kind of no offense to the academics, but it feels like they've kind of gotten involved and wanted to classify everything you know, imagine the academics classifying, this is the genius and the genius and the species. And the, you know, I, I get that kind of sense when I'm looking at this, oh, this is a this, and this is a that. And 
And there may be specific use cases for it, but at least in my experience, the only thing I've ever used is probably the equivalent definition of a stub. Right. And, and you know, I just personally, I just call them all mocks. That's my habit is just yeah, call them yeah. all mocks. But I think it's important to to know the words are out there so that you can kind of if somebody's talking, you can say, oh, they're talking about test doubles, which is really the generic term for all this crap. Um, so that you understand what they're doing, but knowing that stub is this and mock is this and fake is this and a spy is this and a dummy is this, it doesn't really matter. Understanding that those things exist and there are these paths to do this test doubling, these different types of test doubling is important, I think, but knowing what they're called and when does it stop being a stub and start being a fake and when is it a dummy and when is it a variation of a dummy and when, who cares what i mean why why does that matter um so it, i think you're right anyway but I, I i just just going back to you know you're saying why aren't more people using them i think that may maybe why yeah and they are you know because you also have gems like mocker and things that talk about mocks and then they do stubs in them and so that doesn't help with the confusion and, and honestly i i don't want to fault the gems or the packages that do that because i just want to test double package do the things i don't care that it's a mock or a stub just do the things let me let me do what i need to do um so i think understanding the concepts is way more important than understanding the terms because the terms really aren't important. If if I get into a, you know, if I'm writing a test, I don't care if I'm trying to do a mock or a stub. I just care that I'm trying to make sure I get um, the same information from a method call every time. Yeah. So, and I think that has a lot to do with a lot of it. Um a lot of the lack of adoption, especially by newer developers or people that are just getting into testing. Um, well, this is also an adds on another layer of complexity when you're just getting into testing. Right. Because like, what's interesting is that, so, um, you know, I've, you know, kids in school and one of them is learning programming and he's he did a first year of a course. Now he's doing the second year of a course. And this is in high school. This isn't in college. And I happened to ask him today, hey, have you ever learned anything about testing or test-driven development? So this is two years into learning about it through school. Again, high school equivalent. He's like, uh, nope. <laughs> yeah, and I... So I kind of wonder, hmm, I wonder in the third and final year of this particular program, what's available? I wonder if they're ever going to broach testing or test-driven development stuff. Which is, I mean, I guess I kind of get it. You, you want to understand, because testing is programming too. In order to write the tests, you have to understand the basics of how programming works. But the concepts, I think, should be taught early in programming things. That's probably a whole nother episode we could do is how do you teach this stuff? Um, because one of the things that really bugs me is when I go into a, a 
a code base and there aren't tests there and and the developers are like yeah, we don't need them they're they're useless i'm like no they're not that's probably the most important thing that you can have unless you're writing nothing but hello world then i'll let the tests go but other than that what do you mean they're not important i just can't be bothered well good luck with that i'm not working here um yeah so so i guess what i'm saying is that you know once someone it's a lot to kind of learn that concept i think particularly for newer programmers if this is kind of the ramp as it exists today in terms of education of programmers then doing stubs and mocks is kind of like another level to have to learn right and, and it's a shame too because the whole point of stubs and mocks is to make the tests less complicated so yeah yeah, so it's kind of a kind of a catch twenty two, and I, and I think part of the part of the issue too is that I don't see a lot of talking about the concepts. I see a lot of talking about the specifics. How do you implement one of these things? Well, you call this and this and this and this. Don't don't teach that part first. Teach okay. What we're trying to do here with the test is to isolate these bits. So we want to take something that's a a foe one of these bits and put it here and interact with that that's what we're trying to do then i think it becomes a much easier pill to swallow okay i understand the concept now show me the syntax yeah and i think that's a lot easier to kind of get to grips and understand that if if you learn the base concept and you just build something yourself because I think a lot of times, maybe what some people do is they say, oh, well, is there a gem for this? And then you start getting, I think, one space one space removed from what you're trying to understand and do. Right. It's like you rely on the gem. The gem says, do this. Okay, I'm going to do this. And you don't kind of appreciate, hey, you're just, in the terms of replicating the service, you're just accepting a call and sending a result. That's all it is instead of pointing to the service you're pointing it to your own implementation of it right and, and yeah and i think i think that's what a lot of the issues is that's kind of what my issue was part of the intimidation was that all the stuff i could find to learn it well i granted that was back in the stone age but still it was here's the syntax for this thing and you will just want to use this thing called a stub. Why do I want to use this thing? I don't even understand what you're talking about. Well, then you also want to use this thing called a mock. Why? I, I why? So I'm it, doing fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my tests are working. Why am I going to do this? So they don't, you know, nobody's explaining kind of the concept of, well, this is to, make your tests isolated so you know what you're testing and test isolation is an important concept because i see this over and over again too is that and this is one of the reasons that i really dislike cucumber is that you know a test should say if this happens in this case it does this and it has one expectation and if that expectation doesn't work, then you know exactly what the problem or where the problem is, and you know exactly what test case it's failing. When you have 40 expectations in the same 
test, it just becomes a mess. You don't really understand what you're testing. Um, other coders that come in and look at it can't figure out what you're trying to test. Uh, it's, you know, even if they're related things, you, th that's just a bad habit to get into. Test isolation is a thing that people should do a lot more of. And that's one of the reasons that I dislike Cucumber is because it puts these just god-awful lists of tests all in one place, and it's it just gets confusing. I, I... Now, out of curiosity, wouldn't some... What about doing that for efficiency purposes? Because you're talking, if you're talking Cucumber, you're talking integration tests, and if you're going to have the weight of running through a whole tree of dependencies, hitting the database, potentially getting all that data, what's the issue other than just test isolation? What's the issue with testing? If, you, if you're going to take the performance hit of going through a full integration test and testing a bunch of stuff, what's the problem with saying, all right, while I'm here, I need to test that these 10 values equal these 10 results? I'm glad you asked that because here's why. When you say performance or when you say um, uh, efficiency, you talking about the speed of running the test or how long it takes you to troubleshoot it, how long it takes you to relay information with your tests and use those as documentation. Um, which which efficiency are you? Just running the test. Right. Is that more important than the efficiency of being able to troubleshoot quickly to immediately identify which thing has a problem? Um, to be able to bring somebody in from outside, have them look at your tests and understand exactly what all your use cases are. Now, there are cases where, okay, I've got, I, I'm going to calculate five numbers based on this input, and I should get these five numbers. That's fine, because that's still one input and one output. The fact that it gives me an array of five numbers, still basically the same thing. And integration tests are a little, integration tests are kind of a different animal. Um, I will do some of that stuff, but I will only do it to, um, to the point of, okay, I should see these several things in this table on this screen, right? I should see this one and this one and this one and this one, or I should be able to put these things into this form. Um, Because that's really, it's several parts of one input, which is the form. Or it's several parts of one output, which is this table or this JSON or whatever. Those things I don't really see as different expectations. Um, so I, I, I think that's not really what I'm talking about. And maybe that's splitting hairs, but that's... I don't really see those. I mean, I understand with I understand with a unit test, you need to be very specific, laser-like focus, and you know, you know, very focused test. But with an integration test, where like you go to a page, see a form, fill out the form, submit it, 
that should send an email. During that whole process, I guess what I'm stating for an integration test, what's the issue with testing multiple things along that path? Because if it fails, it does tell you the line number where it failed. Yeah, but what does your it statement say? It performs correctly? Exactly. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's well, but that's what I'm saying is if if you can't if you can't write the it you can, statement. You can sit you can submit a form and receive an email confirmation, for example. Okay. I wouldn't do that. I, I think that's not good form because that's two completely different things I'm trying to test. And if one of those parts breaks down, my whole test breaks down. So if the thing at the beginning breaks and fails my test, I have no idea. I've got no coverage left for the things that come after that. Whereas if I'm running those in isolation, if this one fails, I'm still testing the other one. But then if it fails, you fix it, right? Well, yes, but you don't want... If I'm running a CICD and I've got 12,000 tests that are running through and I have one test that fails and it's doing, you know, 2% of all of my tests because it's got 50 different expectations in it, then I don't know if I've got one problem or I've got 25 problems. And so I'll have to fix that one issue, go back to the CICD, wait another hour, come back, find out that the next line also failed. Okay, I mean, so I see it in that case when you have gargantuan amounts of tests that take forever to run. Yeah, um, and honestly, there are no hard and fast rules. I'm opinionated, so I wish there were, and I wish they were my hard and fast rules, but there aren't. But there are reasons that, that I've come to do the things I do. Those reasons may not be applicable in all situations, but in the situations I find myself in, they almost always are. Um, you're right. If I have a, a complete test suite that takes five or ten minutes to run, that's not a terribly huge concern. But that's not my only concern. My other concern is conveying information because what I end up using RSpec for a lot is basically documentation of intention. Yeah, I've got this code that does this. Why? Well, look at my tests. My tests tell you exactly why I'm doing this thing in the code. So if I bring a new developer in, uh, they can look through a test area and say and understand what we're trying to do with this object. Because reading code is not always very good at explaining why. What are my what are my use cases? But I could do that in a test. But if I go too far with my it statements. With, with my expectation statements, it gets muddy and not, and not clear and not isolated enough um, to explain. So, yeah, there's always wiggle room in there. Sorry, I think I took us on a little tangent. <laughs> it's all right. Tangents are fine. You don't mind tangents, do you, chat? I didn't think so. Um, anyway, that's test doubles, mocks, and stubs, and 
spies and Enough. fakes and dummies and no, that's me. Wait, what? No. Um. So, <laughs> uh, I use them all the time. I hope you guys use them. Uh, throw in the comments down below what you think about mocks. Do you use them? Do you not use them? Do you have a place for them? Do you even care? Uh, also, if you have any ideas for topics for us to do shows on, please throw them in the comments. Um, also, a little bit of housekeeping. We are taking next week off to enjoy Christmas with our families. We hope that you do the same. We will be back on January 5th, Wednesday at 8 p.m. with special guest Andrew Mason from Ruby Radar and the Remote Ruby podcast. He'll be joining us to talk about those things. Um, and it'll be a nice, nice, chill show um, just to have another another friend with us. Uh, and hope you guys enjoyed that. If you did, please make sure and mash that like button. Or the follow button if you're on Twitch. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Uh, please give us comments. We love your comments. And until next week, happy programming. Happy programming. <laughs>